This is the CineSnob Podcast. Welcome to episode 186 of the CineSnob Podcast. I am Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And uh, again, uh, Jocelyn remains on maternity leave. Um, I'm somehow, I don't know why it's so goddamn dark here. Yeah, uh, do I look like I'm coming from like 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 I'm like I'm in a pirate radio station in the '80s, like or like I'm in pump up the volume or a sex dungeon. That well, you know, that's the other room. Not <laughs> okay. many sex. I mean, there is a there is a Ronald McDonald. Where right there? It's your so, red room, like uh, in uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Is that what it was called? The red room. I only ever saw the first one. Me too. <laughs> wasn't a fan. <laughs> I wasn't either. But do you remember? Uh, oh, I remember. <laughs> The, the the contract scene the contract scene i think that's i think it was probably me you our friend uh brian and probably kiko mm-hmm. sitting in a row and they're doing like a like going over the their sexual contract mm-hmm. and she like line item vetoes anal sex or something mm-hmm. and i we laughed so hard at that it was just yeah. so so funny it was uh yeah i i remember that um <laughs> and uh I I don't I I was trying to think if I've seen the others but I don't think that I bothered with those. I know I haven't seen the other two. I saw the first one and I I I know for a fact I never saw it's what I don't it's like 50 shades darker and 50 shades freed I think. Something like that. Um if I'm not mistaken too they're all like really long movies I think maybe. I don't know. I can remember seeing yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey is two hours nine minutes. Son of a bitch. Fifty Shades Darker is two hours eleven minutes, and Fifty Shades Free is two hours. <laughs> so it's six oh. hours of of uh, of uh, whatever that is. Have you ever been um, in like an because inv- the, like the whole thing about those books is the phenomenon that they were that they started as a like twilight fan fiction did you know this oh no like the the writer el james i think is her name mm-hmm. started like these stories started as as twilight fan fiction and then she adapted them into these this the novel that we all know and love uh, but it was uh it was advertised at the time as being and like news reports were like it's for like horny old ladies or horny women i guess yeah and that, like, that stuck with me. So, like, whenever I'd see someone reading it, like, at work, like, on a break at work, I was like, ugh. Well, there's that. I've seen, I've sent this to you multiple times, but my favorite thing about uh, the last two seasons of The Office is a cold open they do uh, with Phyllis reading Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh. And, like, she, and she's basically masturbating while she's yes. reading it at work, and it's very, very funny. That's exactly the, the, the picture that I come up with is, is that when I think about it. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with a, with a woman masturbating, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we got to this point. How did I end up saying those words? Yeah, I know how we got there. Jocelyn isn't here. That's yeah. how we got there. Yeah. Um, she uh, needs to come back and get us under control. Um, I think she's liking having a baby, right? She said it was all right, except for waking up in the middle of the night. Yeah, I think it's the typical like sleep or any semblance of sleep has gone. I do. I have talked to her about mu- uh, movies a couple times, and it is now taking her multiple days to watch movies. Yeah, we were talking to her the other day, trying to get her to watch Borat, 
mm-hmm. watch a screener of Borat, and she's like, no, I'll just wait till it hits Amazon on Friday. Did mm-hmm. she ever finish it? I don't know. I don't know if you talked to her. I don't know. I know she did watch On the Rocks. By the way, um, I I gotta commend you for your party ass cup right there. Your red solo cup. Thank you. You you had a a high school party. uh, (laughs) Pay five bucks to buy a cup. It's water. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, Also, your hat. Mm -hmm. um, We have to talk about this week. It looks like something that I'd want to wear just on its own. Yeah, there's unfortunately so there was the hat that has that's like this part or this part over here is a four and it's like okay. the, the fourth Transformers movie. And I wanted that one. Um, but this came in a box of stuff. And this is actually just to be fair, a Michael Bay Transformers movie. So on the back it's got like seven four two thousand seven. Oh, it's the um, first movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow. See so that's I'd actually like that one. Like I would wear that one out. Mm. I mean, well, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the the problem is that it has no distinguishing figures other than the back that it's the movie and not just the brand, right? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I I wanted the one the fourth Transformers movie because I'd, I I don't even remember what is that uh, the uh, that the is night one. No, 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 no. That is uh, the first Marky Mark one. That is Age of Extinction. Oh, and that is the Romeo and Juliet law scene. Ah, yes. The uh, five minute scene or something in the middle of a goddamn Transformers movie about how a <laughs> how in Texas or something an, an a, a a kid over eighteen can have sex with a teenager if their relationship they're... started when they were both under eighteen. <sighs> Jesus fucking Christ! This is. A... And this he is, has it. He has it printed on a card, <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, and also uh, uh, that's famously the movie where uh, a bunch of people die, and then Marky Mark ends up. Marky Mark. What Mark Wahlberg ends up um, like taking a, a like a big chug from a Bud Light that spills into the street. <laughs> And that where T.J. Miller plays one of his best friends and he gets roasted by the Decepticons. Oh, yeah. And it's just his roasted husk, like, frozen. And it's, like, like a good 30-second shot of it. Like, what is happening? Like, we were supposed to care about this character. Why are we watching his grisly death? God, do you remember? Because I, I remember, I think we were at this movie together, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe we weren't. I don't, I don't remember. But but it was know. the, which one had the Beats pill product placement do you remember that i don't remember that one. Oh god it was there was a there was a whole uh, uh bit of product placement that uh, heavily featured a beats pill man i don't remember that one yeah they all they all have run together for me i i, I actually so you're wearing the first movie hat i actually don't hate the first film everything else is hot garbage you know the why f- i have fond memories of the first film why is that uh there was a trailer attached to it. Do you remember that? Oh, the clo- was it the Cloverfield trailer? It was the Cloverfield trailer. Uh, you know, um, I-, I can forgive it because it's old enough. And it wasn't when this shit was really nailed down. Because it came out in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Iron Man came out in 2008. Uh, and from then on, like, Marvel movies have been like nailing the right balance of this shit's ridiculous and this shit is respected mm-hmm. by the filmmakers. Transformers never had that. No. Like it never had that balance. Uh, you know, it never had a filmmaker behind it until the, the Bumblebee movie, like which Tim I actually, yeah. which I actually kind of like, it never had that person that was like, yeah, this shit's stupid, but we're going to treat it in world. Like it's 
like it's not stupid. Well, the problem is that it's they've only been directed by Michael Bay. Like he hasn't mm-hmm. handed off the keys to that franchise to um which is which seemingly is, you know, even the other franchises like hand the keys off at some point, like if you want to talk Marvel or DC or anything else. But but even even that though, like the stewards of the IP being Hasbro like never cared enough to make it something like cuz they made money. Oh, no, I know. But like you can still make money. The I, my, the argument I have is you can still make money and not have it be a total piece of shit that is also very racist and misogynistic yeah. and all kinds of other like negative like like I I made the argument with someone once that that uh the Fast and Furious movies are basically Transformers movies without the Transformers and without the mean spiritedness like they're just as fucking stupid and just as um like over the top and filled with product placement and ridiculous turns of events but there since there's no like overt racism overt misogyny that it, that people embrace those way more than they do the the Transformers films and like I don't th- I like I don't know anyone who's a fan of the Transformers movies, like outside of just maybe the aesthetics of what Optimus Prime looks like or that yeah. Bumblebee is a Camaro. Like I'm I've there's you know, I don't know how much Transformers shit behind me right now. And I don't remember the one when there was a goddamn Beats pill. Like I don't know what that what that was about. Like I don't know yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I've gotten off on a soapbox here about Transformers mm-hmm. movies. Um, anything else before we, before we get started on this show? Well, there was some news earlier this week, um, that, uh, that MGM was, uh, considering offers mm. for, forgot about this. uh, to sell off No Time to Die, the latest James Bond movie. And it was, it was kind of being hinted towards the fact that there were big offers on the table. Um, and then it came out later that MGM had kind of decided against it. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, buried in that article, uh, was some, like they, you know, they said that Michael B. Jordan was directing Creed three, which was in there. In yeah. That article. Yeah. Uh, but also, um, the asking price that MGM allegedly had for, um, for no time to die was $600 million. Um, and, uh, and I, I assume that they probably balked at that price. I, I assume they offered hundreds of millions of dollars, but, um, but yeah, I, what it looks like is going to happen is they're going to hold off to release it in theaters. But the fact that they entertain the offer, you know, there's there's some rumors out there that MGM is so strapped for cash right now that they may have to take that offer uh, or a offer. But um, interesting to see, you know, what the implications of something like that would be. Well, I, I think that um, we were talking about this the other day, and I don't think that uh, that that's anything other than domestic because Universal is distributing it internationally. Mm-hmm. So NB- MGN only has the domestic market on No Time to Die, from what I understand. Um, and yeah, I don't know another MGM movie that's in the pipeline. I mean, Creed, you, they, you mentioned uh, Creed three, that has to be pretty far away and not anywhere near as high profile as No Time to Die. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm checking it's, to see what's in the pipeline right now, and. Um, uh, not a lot really uh no time to die is in there uh tomb raider 2 in march next year um uh 
Candyman in oh, August yeah. of next year is uh, is technically MGM. Um, but again, those I mean, No Time to Die and Candyman are two movies they had to punt to yeah. next year. Um, I don't know about these other ones here. There's there's one called was, Wrath of Man. That's a Guy Ritchie movie. Was Bill and Ted an MGM? I, I don't know if Orion is a if is a subsidy of MGM. It was it was not. Uh, the only thing that they had. Uh, that came out this year was Valley Girl. That's the only movie in 2020. Oh, God. That no one even saw mm-hmm. the remake of Valley Girl. Yeah, they haven't had a movie since October 11th, 2019, which was the Addams Family um, animation movie. Oh, wow. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, that's a lot of money for a streaming service to pay for a, a movie, but it, if it's a James Bond movie, and presumably they get to keep it forever, I guess. You would think I so. I would think, um, yeah. I, I, Apparently, I Apple and Apple and Netflix were the two mo- uh, the two places interested. It'd be a huge win for Apple because that would definitely build their subscriber base. Because I don't, you know, I don't know how robust that is compared to something like Netflix. Well, they haven't had the high profile. You know, they've had they, they finally have stuff coming around. Because um, I mean the critical launch of Apple TV plus was horrible. I mean, almost all of their shows were can uh, were uh, panned. Um, it has picked up recently with like Ted Lasso is a huge hit for them. Um, mm-hmm. but like movie wise, you know, they had the, um, the, uh, Greyhound, which I mean, I don't think anyone really cared about very much. Um, they've got one that we're talking about today that I, don't think that anyone will be running to Apple TV to describe to subscribe for. Um, then that's that gives no indication of how I think about the movie. But I mean, it's just not really that big subscriber getter. So right. you know, they don't really have anything to hang their hat on uh, in terms of like how can we pull in the subscribers the way that like Disney Plus does, the way that Netflix has been doing for years, and then of course you know Amazon Prime people have for different reasons and get video anyway. So yeah. Um, speaking of which. Uh we do need to talk about one other thing, the final demise of our least favorite streaming service that we've talked about here. Ah. Um, it was official this week that Quibi shut its doors. Um, yes. I don't know, um, you know, we talked about Quibi months ago uh, at launch, you and I did, we, were, we had a chance to review some of the content. And, you know, I didn't really have a, a terrible problem with the content. Um, the delivery was not ideal. Um, and I think that that's what killed everything for this platform. Uh, of course, Quibi stood for quick bites and it was meant to be, uh, consumed on the go. Yes. <laughs> um, and which it launched at the start of this pandemic. So no one was able, no one was on the go. Right. And, uh, you could only at the time, of launch, you could only watch on your phone, and we could even only screen the stuff on our phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, so then later, uh, I think this past week, they actually just like right before they announced they were shutting down, they released an Apple TV app. Um, but yeah, so this is uh, something that's that's dying that had been dying a slow death. And uh, finally did die this week after only six months of being around. Look, there's a couple things about this story that are crazy. One, the cost. Yeah. They raised $1.8 billion for Quibi um, with investors, which is insane. Yeah. Two, 
the fact that they couldn't even sell off the content. They tried to unload the content to other um cuz I mean they own the content, I, I believe. They own they they don't own they own only some of it. Some of it okay. is just produced. So that's the weird part to me is that they don't own like I'm sure they own like the the Chrissy Teigen Judge mm-hmm. show or something, but they don't own Reno 911. Yeah. They don't own um the Punked obviously. Yeah, so they tried to sell off the content couldn't find any buyers so that tells you the level of content and three the crazy thing is they had every chance to try to pivot and it was ultimately the stubbornness and this uh this sort of attachment to the idea of it that they refused to budge on that killed them i mean the fact that it took this long to be able to watch their content on anything other than a cell phone yeah killed them I mean, it just it just killed any chance they would have had. I mean, look, you it, once there's a pandemic and the whole uh, the whole thesis behind why you think this works can't happen, you got to pivot. If you don't pivot, you're dead. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, it's um it it was one of those things that you know you could see it coming a mile away. Oh yeah. That it was going to be difficult to deliver because first of all, you're you're asking people to subscribe to content, and you can only watch it on your phone. You know, I don't know that that model has been viable for, you know, for since what was this? Do you remember like when Verizon used to do that on old cell phones? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you could watch like a, a baseball game or some shit like and it was part of a subscription. Uh, You know, now, you know, you can obviously everything you get on your phone, you can either stream to a TV or you know, uh, to a headphones or to a stereo or whatever sound bar, you know, it's, it's just another device. Like to lock it into that one device is a ridiculous notion because it's not how people behave. Like you don't, people talk about the second screen experience all the time in my biz and TV. You got to assume that everyone is always using a second screen, whether that's a, you know, like they're watching you on TV and then they're also using your phone but to lock it down in that phone is it's bizarrely myopic that you can't like also take it off there. Like I get it, you know, if you're on the go and maybe you only watch the vertical form, which was part of their, their, their charm supposedly is that you could watch it in vertical and uh, to lock that down uh, to lock just that down on the phone. Maybe, eh, maybe so. But then if, Hey, I want to watch, fucking judge chrissy teigen or whatever on my tv let me god damn it like i don't yeah. want to i don't want to watch it on my fucking phone if i'm sitting at home well at that point like what's more important to you is the content more important or the consumption method and by you know m- prioritizing consumption method uh the content came became you know secondary and the content was yeah. bad i mean i i mean you may not think it was it was you know awful but everything that i watched for the most part, was either fine or bad. Yeah, I didn't. I, I mean, there was nothing on it that that stood out to me. The Will, the Will um, Arnett show. I don't even remember what it was called. Oh yeah, like the the kind of fake fact thing. It's fine. Like it was fine, but like, why isn't this on YouTube for free? You know, like yeah. hosted hosted by no one. You know, you're paying Will Arnett. You know, uh, and then uh, uh, other stuff like. From what I've from what I hear through the grapevine and reading on Twitter about about Quibi's demise is that these companies, these production companies that produce this stuff, they knew it was going to fail. But why not get a distributor out of it? You know, Quibi's looking for content. 
So there were people that there were people I've read that like they purposely, you know, knew that this was going to bomb, but it was a platform for them. Yeah. So they purposely, you know, cut this into, you know, the stupid 10 minute chunks or whatever, but then they had other edits already ready for when this bombed and they could just crank out a movie, you know? Yeah. You know, the one thing I'm, I'm disappointed that we won't get, uh, is the Spielberg series. Um, Oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah. It was, it was supposed to be called Spielberg after dark. And I I believe it was, the stuff was going to be written by Spielberg and basically it was going to be horror content, that you could only watch on Quibi after the sun had gone down in your area, right? Which would have been cool. I mean, that's a cool idea. Um, mm-hmm. Even if it's even if you have a, a an Apple TV app and it's still not accessible until it's dark outside, that's still a, like a cool concept. And that's you know done for at this point. I, so. I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, so there. I, I haven't really paid attention after hearing that they're shutting down. Like, I assume it's still active right now, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, um, because I I remember getting press releases for like the the second season of whatever oh, Kevin I, Hart's ridiculous thing them. was. What was Kevin Hart's thing that Die Hard? Watched? Yeah, like there's a second season of that coming. Like I, I there was a story that that we that you and I I don't know if you shared with me or I shared it with you a few months ago about sort of the issues Quibi was having. First of all, like the kind of leadership at the top with Jeff, Jeffrey Katzenberg being the kind of guy who gets his emails printed out for him, <laughs> um, which sounds like a ridiculous notion. Um, they're like the, the, the widely seen problem with the platform's content was they had A-list people, but it was like their C-level content right? because they didn't want to burn something good on this platform that wasn't, going to succeed so you you know you got people like will forte will arnett behind it um um steven spielberg obviously mentioned um what was the other big show um the one that was like the movie with sophie turner oh yeah i don't remember who was behind that was not a good show but just this movie that's right that's what it was it was a movie cut into 10 parts um yeah i mean i don't think anyone's gonna miss any of this i you know I hadn't seen any of the Reno 911 reboot. It was a show that I really liked the first time around. Um, I hope it lives on somewhere else if they keep making it. Yeah, it's, you know, to me, it's, it's just, it's just one of those crazy, like, it's those one, it's one of those crazy tales of like, it seemed like a bad idea at the time. Everyone thought it was a bad idea. (laughs) It was a bad idea. (laughs) And then it just, it just died. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy that, First of all, it's crazy that it's got it, that it had a, a, a 1.8 billion dollar investment in 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 you know companies from companies, uh, given the fact that it was such a terrible idea. And I don't know if just like if Jeffrey Katzenberg like just really sold it well, or they had talent that was <laughs> attached. Know. I don't I don't know what happened, but like when this came out, when this idea came out, it was universally mocked, and then it just stuck to the script. I mean. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it was never anything that people. I didn't see one good take on it where it's like, you know what? Actually, this is a pretty good idea. It was all like, this is terrible. <laughs> the content's terrible. The idea is terrible. And um, and then you know when the trials ran out and they only had a fraction of people keep the service. You know, the writing was on the wall at that point. Yeah, I mean, you launch during a pandemic when no one's commuting, and that's your entire draw. I mean, that was a tough sell even before the pandemic to get people to pay to watch 
the short form content that you can only watch on a phone. I mean, it's just a, it's such a stupid idea and it doesn't, it didn't pay off at all. So, uh, rest in peace, Quibi. And plus they had uh like weird, uh, what was the, there was someone who was like, had a Twitter account that was criticizing them. Do you remember this? And they like sent them a cease and desist letter. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, a, someone had, someone had, I think, uh, oh man, I don't remember. I wish a, I don't, I don't want to misquote it, but was it a podcast or was it a Twitter? It, it, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. So there was a podcast that was dedicated. They weren't even oh, criticizing yes. it. That's right. That's it was right. A, it was a podcast that was going to cover Quibi shows yes, and material. And I think they used the name Quibi in the name of their podcast or something like that. And they got a cease and desist for giving them free publicity. <laughs> <sighs> well, what a strange trip it's been. In the six we hardly then. knew ye. Yeah, and we didn't really care. Uh, all right, anything else before we move on? Mm, no, I think uh, I think we've given the proper eulogy for Quibi. Rest in peace, Quibi. All right, let's move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have Borat, subsequent movie film. Is there anything else I can help you with? That's it. Okay, As thank you. comes yesterday, I'm an okay I want this one with the baby on it. Okay. This is our little secret. Welcome. Okay, so, okay what are you telling me that? Oh, 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 oh. What do you know? doctor. I have a baby inside me, mm-hmm. and I want to take it out of me. Mm-hmm. Right. She wants it out now, please. Right. I Can mean, you take it out? No, we cannot. What you say, take it out. Yes. You end that life. That, that life will die. It's already dead. It's not living. No. It is a living, breathing life that God has created. I don't think he's breathing. We can show you that it's breathing. I feel bad because I was the one who put the baby in her. You don't need to feel bad. I was just trying to give my daughter pleasure, and next thing I know, there's a baby inside her. Mm-hmm. You keep calling her your daughter. Yes. Okay. Is he your father? Yes. This yes. is your daughter? Yes. Okay. Uh, okay, so uh, the uh, the full title of this is Borat's subsequent movie film, Delivery of Prodigious Bribe to American Regime for Make Benefit Once Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. And um, obviously, this has been uh, all over the news this week, if you've been following any kind of um, national news, uh, due to a scene uh, featuring uh, former New York City mayor, current uh, Donald Trump personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. Um, But let's talk about uh, the rest of the film before that. Cody, tell us about Borat, subsequent movie film, and what you thought of it. So this was a movie that, um, honestly, we didn't know about until a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago. It was kind of filmed in secrecy. Um, You know, there had been some, you know, there had been some sightings. You know, I think we first heard about something was up uh, in one of the scenes that take place at the March for Our Rights rally um, in Olympia, Washington, um, where Sasha Baron Cohen was seen 
uh, you know, performing music at a rally. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and so it was like, people were wondering if it was a new season of, um, well, who is America? Who is America? Yeah. And, um, and then it later came out, someone saw Borat driving a truck, uh, and filming and then, um, the full movie, well, and then the, the idea that the movie was being shopped around and then it was pretty clear that they were going to try to sell it before the election. Um, and so I, I thought back to, the first movie and watched it earlier this week. And it was interesting because, you know, it's easy to forget how, just like how big Borat was when it came out and not only how big of a hit it was, but how even at the time, uh, it was considered one of the best comedies ever, like one of the best comedy films of all time. Um, and, uh, and very influential, um, and, um, and uh, you know, I had forgotten about that, and so I rewatched it, and I and it's great. Um, yeah, no, yeah. It, it ages, it ages well. Um, but you know, the big thing about it is that you know, when you think about Borat now, well, when you think about Borat then, the thing was Sasha Baron Cohen was sort of expertly um, getting people to reveal who they really were in a time where it was not as overt uh, <laughs> to to be to. To, to put that lightly, um, as it is now. And, um, you know, when people were revealing themselves as xenophobes and, and you know, later with Bruno as homophobes and, um, and, um, and like, uh, stuff about, you know, misogyny and stuff like that, back then it was, it was somewhat shocking back then, <laughs> which is crazy to think about now. It was before social media when everyone just put it out there. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and obviously pre- pre you know tea party and trump and and uh make america great again stuff so um it was interesting to revisit that and and see how present it was but the big question is of course how does how do you satirize something that is you know borderline no longer satire you know like it's it's stuff that's happening so um you know what you get i think is a movie that um by and large, uh, for at least the beginning of it, and and, uh, and through and you know pieces throughout, is you know sort of plays as as like a greatest hits. I think of Borat. You know, um, you know you get callbacks to the first movie. Um, uh, you know you, you you know even when he's leaving from uh, like he's leaving Kazakhstan to go back to America, it's sort of the same village, and and you see him. Uh, you know, leaving in the same way, saying, I go to America, and then, you know, people yeah. are booing him this time around instead of cheering <laughs> him. Um, so basically, the story is that um, is that Borat's uh, m- first movie was a big success, but made him um, hated in, in Kazakhstan. And so uh, basically, they they send him off to try to go back to, Kaz- uh, to America, where he's popular, uh, to, um, to bribe the administration to try to get into their inner circle. Um, <laughs> yes. And so first the bribe is a, a monkey that is also a porn star. Uh, <laughs> and then that changes over time um, to, to be his daughter. And, and what the movie really is at its core is a father daughter relationship. And, um, you know, similar, I don't know that that's true, but okay. I mean, I'll the, let you go with it. No, I mean, I think it, I mean, I think if you're talking about the narrative piece, at its core, okay, it's, okay, it's a father-daughter okay. relationship. I mean, uh, there are the, you know, obviously it is, but the, see, that's the thing, though, is that it is a little bit confusing because, um, like, like a lot of these movies that have 
hidden camera pranks in them um, that also weave in a narrative, the balance is almost never right. Um, and I, I think that, you know, you see this with like, you know, Impractical Jokers move, uh, movie or um, uh, like Bad Grandpa, stuff like that, where mm-hmm. where like the, the, the narrative piece kind of makes the movie a little bit flabby sometimes um, and, um, and, and isn't well conceived and well thought out. And I think this movie suffers from the flabbiness of a movie that is like that a little bit. Um, I think it's at its best when it is responding to the Donald Trump presidency. Um, there's a lot of great one-liners um, in there that, that really push forward, you know, the character of of Borat. But there's also, like, a lot of really funny non-sequitur stuff. Like, there's a great scene where he goes to buy a cell phone uh, for the first time. It's like, <laughs> yes, it's like a quick, funny scene. Uh, you know, there's, there's a scene where he has a conversation <laughs> via fax machine that's just painstakingly long. Um, <laughs> yes. And, you know, the, the one the, the, the other thing about it is that, you know, you have the conundrum that Sasha Baron Cohen has is that everybody knows Borat. And so, you know, the thing that they they create to to get around that is one disguises into um, uh, the, the daughter character sort of takes place of uh, uh, takes the place of Borat doing the same kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's from a, a, an actress from Bulgaria named Maria Bakalova. And um, she's f- fantastic. And not not only is she fantastic in the movie, but like there's like small subtle stuff that you kind of don't think about how she's doing like this prank stuff, like as good as Sasha Baron Cohen does the prank. Oh yeah, stuff. yeah. Never breaking character, um, not laughing during any of the scenes that are ridiculous. Um, extremely convincing, and and so she sort of takes the place of him doing like funny interviews like there's a great interview that she has with like someone who is teaching her how to be a sugar baby <laughs> yeah yeah and it's a, just a great scene of her just kind of doing that whole thing um you can clearly tell somewhere along the way that that the pandemic stepped in and forced the movie to take a turn and that there it happens at the ex, at the expense of the narrative of this there's like a side narrative of of her wanting to be a journalist that is very half-assed and i and it's it just has to be said that at one scene you know she says women can be journalists out of nowhere and then suddenly that's like the third act of the movie um yeah yeah i mean yeah it's there's clearly the, the real world clearly stepped in yeah in this film and and, and threw off that part and yeah, and so again, it, it's a funny movie. I think that the that that you know, it again, it plays the hits, so to speak, with the Borat stuff. I do think that there's a section of the movie that I that again, anything that's sort of narrative based, like there's a scene that happened. There's scenes that happen like at a plastic surgery place. There's the debutante ball. There's uh, her her speaking at a Republican women's thing. I think all of that just this sort of is not my favorite stuff in the movie, and I think kind of makes it a little flabby. Um, but the best part where it's again responding to the trump administration and kind of doubling down on the on the ridiculousness again where it's almost not even satire um i like the section where they're where he's living with some conspiracy theorists i think that's a great section of the movie um and ultimately i I enjoyed it i think it's a worthwhile sequel it doesn't pack the punch of the first movie but i think it's a worthwhile sequel that's that's definitely funny yeah i um i i you know, I have a, a a little rosier outtake, outtake, a little rosier take on the narrative stuff. I think that it works more often than not. Um, I, you know, clearly this thing was this thing had a thesis statement 
um, to get to the Trump stuff and to skewer the Trump stuff. And even so to also um, skewer the right wing media aspect of everything, because that's what the character of tutor 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 um, tutor. Yeah. Anyway, that's what her character ends up being. Like you, you've, if you've seen the Rudy Giuliani stuff floating around, you've seen that she turns into the blonde sort of Fox news style uh, journalist, so to speak. And the uh, the transformation into that is hinted at, like in two separate scenes, but you don't see anything in between that. Um, and that's where I think the pandemic stuff stepped in and threw that narrative off, because the the segment with uh, Borat with the conspiracy theorists, like that's pretty self contained. Yeah. Like, and that's where you see him at the um, whatever that freedom rally thing March for in, our rights in, rally March for our rights rally in. Uh, in was it Washington? It was Olympia, Washington. Yeah. That uh you know, that's where you see that happen and that's where you kind of get the you know, the classic um you know, it, it is sort of the greatest hits with bo- with him performing a song that is blatantly racist, blatantly uh calls for the killing of journalists in uh in a in an environment where people are going to sing along. Um so, you know, that I think that there's this movie fell victim to that, but I think it, it recovers nicely um, because, I mean, literally that final scene is one of the most talked about things in the country right now. Um, the the scene with Rudy, not the final scene, but the kind of climax <laughs> with uh, Rudy Giuliani. I mean, it, that's uh, that's what the movie was going for, um, was to, to paint this as something that was, you know... Um, I think I I feel like Rudy Giuliani was the target all along, um, and and well, maybe because because he's historically very gullible, as right? We know. <laughs> um, you know, and the idea that that he is um, <laughs> the uh, person to uh, supposedly have kind of uh, been played multiple times by Russian agents, allegedly. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, the idea that this uh, former Soviet country, <laughs> even though they're speaking Hebrew and clearly not speaking. You know, uh, whatever the native languages of Kazakhstan. Um, I don't know. Is it Russian? I don't think it's Russian. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, that was, I think, the thesis statement that they were shooting for all along. The pandemic stuff threw it threw it for a loop, obviously, but um, I, I still think it recovers really well. And I, I mean, there's some stuff that I laughed my ass off at. And you know, the the debutante ball thing. Um, there's a really great line from one of the dads who talks about how much the daughter how much she would be worth and then uh if if that's a real interaction that comes like immediately right after that with his daughter like yeah like getting grossed out by him like that's fucking hilarious yeah um the scene <laughs> there's a scene where uh he takes her uh he takes his daughter to a supercuts to get like uh, a makeover and she they're like, oh, show her her hair. And she pulls up her dress and you can see like her just massive pubic hair coming out of her underwear. I mean, I laughed like crazy. It's stupid stuff like that 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 I really enjoy. Um, you know, I was a huge fan of the first Borat film. And I, I was one of the people, and I don't know if you were, um, I don't think we really knew each other that well back then. Were you aware of the character before that? Yeah, I, I, I watched the Ali G show. Okay. So I was aware, yeah. It's surprising to me back then because i was aware too and i i didn't realize how many people just had no idea about any of this stuff 
Yeah, it was interesting because, I mean, uh, you know, I, I did watch the Ali G show and Borat was always my favorite part of the mm-hmm. Ali G show and um, and somehow managed to still... Um, yeah, now, to be fair, that the the places that Borat visits are strategically mapped out in that first Borat movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where I, I would totally believe that that show would not be on people's radar. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, no, no. I... I I wasn't as surprised because I don't. I, I don't even think the Ali G show was like it was well respected and funny and 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 stuff. But it wasn't like a massive hit or anything. No, I know it was on HBO, and I don't know how how I I don't think it's something they own because I don't think it's on HBO. Max. It's, it's not. You can't find it anywhere really. I tried I mean, to look I have, for it earlier. I have the DVDs, so I I'm holding on to those. But yeah, I mean, and the Ali G character is sort of ridiculous uh, anyway, and that's not really the best entry point. I don't think. The Borat again. The Borat stuff was always the top notch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I. I mean, I. I. I'm impressed. I guess now that people are still getting fooled by Borat. Yeah. Um. You know, because there it seemed to be that that was still happening in this film. There is a lot of him in disguise, uh, in a different disguise, where he even kind of loses the Borat voice. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and, and it does. He does transition the. Most of the heavy lifting goes to the 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 daughter character um, Tudor, and uh, uh, you know, obviously to to which is a great benefit to the storytelling um, and the ability to get through these pranks and stuff. Um, like the like the conspiracy theory guys, like that's a funny scene or it's a funny stretch of the movie. I just can't believe those guys don't know anything about this. It's I find that really hard to believe. The the thing that I don't quite get with any of it and and there's there's a lot there's been a lot of talk about the editing Mm -hmm. that's happening here because there's a lot of stuff like there's a there's a line um that that uh and i'll just spoil the line it's uh, it's because it's really funny where um where borat or he's he's playing a sound uh, sasha baron cohen is playing a sound guy in the rudy giuliani (laughs) yes yeah uh, and he and he's and he's comes in and says there's an audio problem and then there's a line where he where he says uh you should have stuck to your cousins yeah, or something like like she would make a good wife, and then you should stick to your cousin, uh, and that is only him from like his shoulders up. There's no yeah. Rudy Giuliani in the scene. So you know the thing that I don't quite understand is the conspiracy theory guys. You know how do you not pick up on this? Because apparently he lived with them for like five days, uh, and um, <laughs> and when there's like multiple cameras and cameramen seemingly with him, how do you not pick up on that when? There's a strange guy, uh, you know, kind of like goading you into talking about this stuff with cameramen. It's just kind of crazy. I yeah. I mean, look, there's there's this subset of people that will basically do anything for for being on, to be on camera. It's kind of the reality show generation thing, or the you know YouTuber or whatever you want to call it now, um, which it doesn't necessarily surprise me. But it's still kind of shocking to see in action when it's like grown people. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, um, what's your grade for Borat subsequent movie film? I'm going to give it a B, a solid B. Um, I enjoyed it. I just think that, you know, it does suffer from a few things. You know, one being the fact that we're, you know, we're we're so beyond parody at this point that it's... Um, you know, it doesn't pack that punch. It's not as shocking. The Giuliani stuff is is pretty shocking. Um, 
and it, and, it, and you know, it makes sense that people are talking about it. Um, I, I wish that it would have been more political, to be honest with you, because I think that the narrative pieces and kind of like the the side, the little side quests are, you know, occasionally funny and like you know the bigger emotional points of the film, like when when Tudor is with the babysitter and stuff, like that's an emotionally sweet part of the movie. Does it really add to the comedy in a way that that feels like a skewering? Um, or a, a satire a little bit, but but to me not as satisfying as some of the other stuff. So I give it a B, and, and I think really, you know, uh, hats off to, again, Maria Bakalova for being such a good sport and, and really kind of nailing the the Sasha Baron Cohen idea um, of, of really, uh, you know, kind of luring people in to kind of reveal their most inner <laughs> thoughts you know that's that that's that's what he's that's what he's best at he does it great here and she's a great um you know auxiliary for that also crazy that she's like 24 years old so she would have been like 10 years old when this first borat mm-hmm. film came out so it's not like she's been training for this yeah you know and, as an and actress in s- seemingly not having any like improv comedy skills or anything like that you know she was just an actress in bulgaria well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it helps that she's completely unknown. Um, I'm going to give it a B plus. I actually liked it a little more. I think it's, um, I think it's really, really, it was really, really uh, funny at times and really kind of eye-opening at others. I I don't know, um, you know, there's kind of this desire for it to be political, and I can understand that. But the first film wasn't really political. You know, it just was kind of a slice of 2006 Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in this film, because of what happens in it and because of, you know, the circumstances around how it wraps up. Well, I wonder... and how it's introduced. Don't forget how it's introduced as well. Oh yeah. True. True. Um, that, that the, the beginning may play a little better than the end going forward. I mean, we may look back at this and be like, God damn, we were lived in a crazy time. Or we may look back at it and be like, Oh shit. Things were way better back then. <laughs> I hope it's not the second one. I mean, but, shit, that's uh, how we look back at Borat now, right? That's true. It's true. And I mean, that's the whole thing with, um, God, I mean, you know, we've talked about this before, um, but, you know, like looking back at old episodes of The Daily Show, you're like, oh, man, things were so much simpler back then, but it seems so terrible. Um, you know, I think that for better or worse, that's the the boat that Borat, the second Borat film is in. Um but I think right now it's a great, it's a, it's a, it's probably one of the best films for its time right now to sort of skewer it. Like when there's not really, you know, you, there's not a collective John Stewart anymore to sort of skewer this and, and put it in a funny perspective and also an outrageous perspective. And I think this is as close as we're going to get to that same feeling as that, you know, all that stuff has been splintered now and. Mm-hmm. everything's so polarized but um yeah this is available now on amazon prime um you've probably seen the rudy giuliani thing spoiled for you um rest assured it plays out exactly like people are describing it so yeah whether or not this is um <laughs> whether or not he was way, really go ahead oh, i was just gonna say if I, I it's just very funny reading rudy giuliani defend himself because he keeps on referring to borat as if he's an actual person and like like so he'll keep on saying like and then borat came in uh in this or borat is trying to do this like it's just very funny For, to me you know and not to get political because i don't want to get political mm-hmm. but rudy giuliani this is a guy that was highly respected oh yeah um especially after 9 11 
Um, and it's also been very much a part of pop culture mm-hmm. since then. You know, he was a guest on The Simpsons. He fucking hosted SNL. At one point, he was he was the front runner for the Republican nomination. Well, um, I mean, even besides political stuff, like this is a guy sure. that that was, he, you know, he's he's been on TV more than probably any other New York City mayor ever. Um, you know, he was he's been in movies, he's been in in TV shows. He hosted SNL. He famously he has that great line of that first SN, on the first SNL back from nine eleven. Yep. Was it is it Lauren that asked him like, "Can we be funny?" And he's like, he says, "Why start now?" Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's great. It's a great moment. And then now he's a, I mean, he's a cartoon of a person. Yeah. Um, with the respectability that that all that brought with him out the window because he's gone down these 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 weird paths, these conspiratorial paths, and these things that are just shamefully. Yeah. Bad. He lost. He's lost every bit of goodwill that he once had. And 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 also the thing about it is that it's been willing. I mean, yeah, like it's been it's, like it's, self-inflicted. It's his, it's his own design. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, that's it's a, and to get fooled by that, like, I don't know. Anyway, um, enough of that. Let's move on to our next movie, On the Rocks. Hi, Dad. Hey, kiddo. Oh my gosh, do you look beautiful. Cliff, how's your mom's hip? Good, thanks. Good. He thinks you're my girlfriend. Right. Been busy? Yeah. Dean's traveling with clients all the time, and I'm just the buzzkill waiting to schedule things. Just, I'm so stuck. So Dean's going away a lot, huh? On business trips? Dad. Raise your hand if that sounds fishy. He's not like you. He's a good guy, a great dad. Sure, it's nature. Males are forced to fight, to dominate, and to impregnate all females. Maybe he's just not interested in me anymore. Impossible. A woman's at her most beautiful between the ages of 35 and 39. Great, so I have many months left. Really? You're back in town. Been busy? Yeah. Got a lot going on. Do you? He should be worshipping the ground you walk on. And if he's doing something dishonorable, you need to know. What if Dean's just busy? I'm in a rut. That's it. I think we should follow him. What? I think you better see him in action. This is your idea of incognito? Coming through! So this is a uh, the latest film from director Sofia Coppola. Uh, of course, the daughter, Francis Ford Coppola, who made her mark um, in a big way with Lost in Translation, I think, is fair to say. That's her kind of marquee signature film uh, from 2003, which also starred Bill Murray. Uh, this, again, features Bill Murray. Um, and this is an Apple TV Plus exclusive. Cody, tell us about On the Rocks and what you thought of it. Sure. So uh, the plot is relatively simple for On the Rocks, which is basically um, uh, the main character is played by Rashida Jones. And um, uh, essentially her husband is working quite a bit and um, in working long hours and taking a lot of business trips. And she starts to suspect him of cheating. Um, And and then um, she basically starts to investigate that a little bit further with the help of her charmingly misogynistic father played by uh, Bill Murray and um, <laughs> and yeah so um, this movie was interesting for me because 
I I think it starts off really slow um, because Bill Murray does not appear for the first like 15 minutes maybe. And Bill Murray is kind of the reason to watch the movie. And it's um, only like an hour and a half long too. So it's the, him yeah. not appearing that quickly is a, is kind of a big chunk of it. It is. And the strange thing about Bill Murray is that, I mean, Bill Murray's pretty much always great, but he seems to be in a Wes Anderson movie for most of this when it's a <laughs> Sofia Coppola movie. If you know, if you know what I mean by that, like I, I just, I, I get what you're saying. I feel like it's more of just, it's, it's kind of off the shelf Bill Murray right it is. at this point. It is. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and so the movie sort of, it, it's, it stumbles a little bit. It picks up and it had me interested once Bill Murray steps in and then it kind of lost me for good in the third act. Um, and so really the, the, you know, I think the main, there's a few main problems. One is that, and maybe this is just a me thing, but I, I, I find Sofia Coppola's movies to be hard to crack. I find them a little bit impenetrable. And I think the main reason is that her movies by and large focus on like really socially elite or, um, wealthy people having wealthy people issues. And this is how the movie seems. And I think that it, it really cuts into the relatability of anything that's happening. Uh, you know, you'll see, like, you know, there's big scenes of, of, of uh, Sophia, uh, excuse me, uh, Bill Murray and Rashida Jones, you know, having really expensive meals. And then, you know, they're staking out her husband and they're eating, uh, they're eating caviar in a car and a really expensive convertible you know foreign sports car or whatever the fuck that thing is um <laughs> you know when they when they want to investigate him any further you know he's like oh i think i have a person who uh who who is in the building next door and then they show up the next day and they're in this really nice resort in mexico like it's just you know it's just it's hard to relate to and and, and the, the issues i don't think cut through all levels of class and and you know, I just find it hard, hard to relate to. The second part is I think the movie's just sort of lazily written. Um, I think that it goes in, in this particular cycle. So it goes, Rashida Jones questions whether her husband is cheating. Played Rashida, by Sean Wayans, by the way. Yeah, which is uh, Marlon Wayans. Marlon Wayans, I'm sorry. I, um, I was saying Marlon Wayans in my head and I, th- I said Sean. Yeah. Uh, so she, she starts wondering how things are because her husband isn't there. She goes to dinner and or drinks with her father she asks her father if monogamy is possible, and then her father gives a misogynistic monologue. And then you repeat that like four or five times, and that's the whole movie. The movie never goes beyond that. The, the movie never goes beyond questioning monogamy, him ha- saying something that's you know borderline or overtly misogynistic. And, um, and I just don't think that thematically it connects with anything. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's certainly watchable, and and even off the shelf, Bill Murray, as you said, is enjoyable at times. I just think it's a late. It's I think it's just a late kind of a lazy movie. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like you, you mentioned that it's that he's like in a, in a Wes Anderson movie, and I think that that the movie is kind of going for some of that kind of Wes Anderson whimsy at times. Because mm-hmm. I think that. Like you mentioned the the idea that he's that they're in this old sports car uh and they're eating caviar and it's in like a caviar kit or something. Yeah. Uh and the the sports car is kind of a piece of shit. Like it keeps breaking down. And I feel like that's supposed to be like like that's the comedy it was aiming for with Bill Murray, like making him this ridiculous sort of um 
you know, character, but I don't think it ever goes all in on that. I don't think mm-hmm. it, I think it abandons that pretty quickly because he's, he's, he's a rich like art gallery owner or something. Art and dealer. Art dealer. Yeah. And then he, but then the idea that he's eating caviar in the car that's like breaking down, like it doesn't make any sense for the character like that that scene seems to exist on its own and it seems to be in a different sort of movie like if it was like if this movie had a you know if Rashida Jones is playing the straight man character and to Bill Murray's sort of unhinged weirdo uh of a father who you know was was perpetuating these schemes that they do that would that I feel like that's what that section of the movie was going for and it doesn't really feel like that plays out anywhere else Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's, you know, it it ends with, uh, you know, like you said, it ramps up to them going to, to Mexico to, to stalk her husband to see if he's cheating on her, but it just never feels significantly challenged at all. Like, you know, it doesn't feel like there's any kind of, you know, decisions that need to be made. It just happens. It doesn't feel like there's any weight to the decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Look, I'm, I'm not the biggest Sofia Coppola fan either. I think Lost in Translation is is great because it's informed by her own life. Um, it's supposed to be based on her and Spike Jones, right? And uh, Cameron Diaz, I think, is the Anna Ferris character, mm-hmm. um, so to speak. Um, anyway, I, you know that that movie hits because it's because it's such a personal little slice. This I feel like is just sort of a broad comedy about rich people that doesn't really have a point at the end of it. Yeah, and I saw a lot of people refer to it as like a screwball comedy, which I don't get. It's not even I, that. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that, I not only don't think that that's accurate, I don't think that it's, it's comedic enough to be classified as that. Like, I, like that car scene is supposed to be like the, the big, I think, comedic moment of the film. And it just, I mean, it's not, funny like it's it's i mean i guess i mean i guess that's subjective right but um yeah and and i and i don't think that it has and i mean i think the ending of the movie is fairly telegraphed as well um and um and and i you're right i don't think that it has much to say and um and again not that it's bad or anything but i just i found myself like not liking it as like the more that it went on the less i liked it um and i was on board for a little while um and then it started repeating itself um and uh and I just kind of thought it was kind of lackluster after How that. How many movies can we possibly watch with an establishing shot of a New York skyline and a tinkling piano in the soundtrack? And and for it like at this point it it's such a trope. Well, you know, it's a, a you know, New York City's often a character in a movie, Jared. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. All right, what's your grade <laughs> for On the Rocks? You know what? Like I said, I I was I thought it gets off to a slow start. I was on board, and then it lost me for good. So I give it a C plus. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a C plus too. I just think it's 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 missing something that that I think it tried to to shoot for, and then it just sort of left on the cutting room floor, not on cutting room floor, but like left on the drafting table. Like I don't think it was ever really fleshed out. Uh, all right, this is available on Apple TV Plus right now. Let's move on to our next movie, Totally Under Control. The CDC has identified a case of coronavirus in Washington state. The words about a pandemic at this point? No, we're not at all, and it's uh, going to be just fine. 
Whatever happens, we're totally prepared. The scientists knew what to do for the pandemic response. The plan was in front of us, but leadership would not do it. It is time to lay our careers on the line and push back. It's clear the United States did not perform to the best of its ability with the coronavirus. wrong for us. The truth is that political leaders caused avoidable death and destruction. The scientists sounded the alarm every day. The U.S. government was doing nothing. One day it's like a miracle. It will disappear. It'll be wonderful. It'll be a gift from heaven. It's complete He has no idea what he's talking about. This uh, could also be called uh, No Shit, the movie. Um, (laughs) But... uh, this is a uh, documentary about um, the very times we are in, Cody. Yes. Uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from director Alex Gibney, who did, um, as you saw on the, the screen there, Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room, um, Going Clear, the Scientology film. Uh, I love that was that on one. HBO, right? That was an HBO yes. series. Um, and what's the one, what's the most, the other one that we reviewed? Um, the Edward uh, Snowden one, right? Well, he the other one that's mentioned there is the is the um, uh, the oh god the uh, 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 Elizabeth Holmes documentary. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, this is uh, so they say filmed in secret. I don't know why it would have to be a secret because it's yeah. just the news. But um, it's it's probably one of the most up to date films we've ever covered, and that includes Borat from earlier this t- this uh, episode. Cody, tell us about Totally Under Control and what you thought of it and how mad it made you. <laughs> well, it made me mad because it is the latest perpetuation of a liberal hoax. So, oh, uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, the thing, the thing it, I got to think about how to phrase this. The thing about the movie that is a little bit complicated is that uh, unless you have been not paying attention at all, um, you know a large part of what you're going to get in the movie. Um, mm. Like you said, it says filmed in secrecy. I don't really think that that. I think that's a little bit of a of a uh, you know a, a selling to, point. Like yeah, a, it's supposed to be something that. Oh, am I frozen to you? You're frozen. Yeah. Oh, cool. Awesome. Great. Uh, I got to fix that. Sorry. Uh, go ahead and talk. And I'll, uh... Sure. Go ahead. Oh, this is my show now. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, um, you know, it says filmed in secrecy. I think that's trying to make headlines or get people interested um, in it otherwise. But uh, it is, like like Jared said, uh, like you said, Jared, um, the most up-to-date version or collection of something that we've ever covered. And um, I think that is at both to a benefit uh, and a detriment to the film for a couple of different reasons. But, you know, it, it kind of goes through uh, the timeline of how things have uh, shaken out uh, in the in the coronavirus um, story. And, you know, from its, um, you know, inception and, um, and the way that it started until uh, the U.S. response to it and um, also 
the uh, the response uh, of of other countries. And I think that one of the most uh, interesting parts about the movie um, and the stuff. Hey, welcome back. Hi, thanks. Uh, I had to restart the camera. So oh, I'm you're back. good. Uh, Ooh, but but yeah, the um, uh, I think one of the one of the things that it does really well and that I like is is the way that it sort of juxtapos- uh, juxtaposes the response from America with the response to South Korea, um, and it, I think that's one of the more interesting parts of the movie. And you start seeing over time that uh, that not only was you know did the Trump administration not have a plan for a pandemic, but there was a plan that was left by the Obama administration um, that was ignored. And that uh, they planned for this, and um, and uh, you know the, the response was ignored. And so, as you know, I think that its main job is to recap and infuriate. And I think that it does that <laughs> well because I was fuming watching this movie, um, which it's very effective. And first, I should say it's packaged really well. I think it's really well edited. It's it's really well put together. The 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 narration is good. I I think that it's pretty comprehensive i don't think it's entirely comprehensive but i think it's as comprehensive as it can be given the circumstances um and you just see a bunch of stuff you know that 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 um you know you may have known but it either reiterates or provides context to you know like i didn't know for example that um you know there's a there's a really frustrating part where where uh uh, Gavin Newsom needed something, and uh, and Jared Kushner was in uh, in charge of that, and and basically said that uh, that Newsom could get what he wanted if he personally called Trump and to ask for it, and then thanked him publicly, uh, which is just fucking insane. Um, and and and, it, and I think it it also does a really good job of showing how uh, you know the, the 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 failures in testing, not only in the actual tests that you see where. The, the response was delayed because the testing was flawed, but also how um, testing was necessary to contain everything and how, you know, the, the United States never really um, made that a priority and got that under, under control. And so um, I think it does a really good job of explaining how this thing boomed out of control, um, much to the lack of uh, effort by the Trump administration. And... Um, and you see things again, like you know the task, the tr- coronavirus task force only had two people who had a scientific background on it. Um, you know, you'll see the, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, there's there's uh, surprisingly not um, a, a large amount of Fauci stuff in it, which I was a little bit surprised um, to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's anyone that's still working for directly mm-hmm. for the response. Like Rick Bright is the is the guy that was probably the closest to that. Uh-huh. Uh, and he got fired, obviously. But uh. yeah, and, and again, the, the the I think it serves to show as a good snapshot. I think it will piss you off, and I think that it's what it's designed to do. Here's the thing, though the the because this was so up to date, and because they wanted to get this out as quick as possible, um, the movie ends with a title card that says that I think a day before they stopped making the movie and turned it in and, 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 um, and what's the, what's the industry word before they, before uh, they lock the picture, before they lock the picture, uh, Trump, uh, got COVID-19. Yeah. And here's the thing is that that whole story is not only, um, the biggest, like 
not only is it huge news just in general i mean just when it happened it was it was the first time that a sitting president had been that ill in a long time um <laughs> and and, ho- and hospitalized but also in 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 the narrative of the u.s response to the coronavirus it was big and also that would have punctuated every single point that the movie is trying to make and it's a little bit disappointing that the goalposts weren't moving more on this. And, you know, I know things go into making a movie and and there could have been stuff beyond the control, but you can't help but think if they would have kept filming for, a, you know, a week, seven days, ten days, they could have wrapped the picture and gotten it out to in time for the election. You know, it's it, it was going to a streaming service anyway. It's on Hulu. Um, and also, you know, the... Um, the, the the movie industry is in a place right now where release dates are changing all the time. And look, in in seven to ten days after that happened, you knew that tr- there was either going to be some like bad news, bad stuff going on with Trump, or he would have been over it. And if you would have extended it just a week, man, if you if you extend filming for just a week, you cover you know potentially going to the debate, knowing that he came into contact, going to a campaign event, um, having possibly tested the super spreader event at the White House. You know, going to the hospital, the joyride in the hospital, the Superman idea. You know, the the whole idea that he he was Forgot touting about the Superman. Idea. Yeah, the, the whole idea that he was touting hydroxychloroquine and, and did not take it as part of his regiment. Like, there's there's like ten different stories that there's twenty twenty five minutes of movie you could have snuck in there by just another uh, seven to ten days of shooting. And it would have made every single point. It would have put a giant exclamation point on everything that you were saying. And it yeah. feels like a bit of a missed opportunity and a bit of a disappointment because because it also limits the impact that the movie's going to have. It's 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 only ever going to be a slice of lo- a slice of time because if you go back, let's say we look at this movie two years from now and the coronavirus is hopefully all behind us, it's going to stop at that point, and that's not the end of the story. And so. It does feel a little bit weird that this movie is coming out and it's relatively incomplete because the story itself is incomplete. But but it it it, it doesn't cover arguably the most insane turn of the whole thing. So yeah, it feels a little incomplete to me, even though it's well packaged and well done. I you know I, I'm I'm on the same page with you on that a little bit. I feel like that's something because we talked about this when the trailer dropped that that this was something that was going to have to change at least some aspect of the film. I don't know that it doesn't, you know, if they didn't want to keep shooting and they didn't, they had, you know, kind of locked what they wanted in the film. I get it. Um, I think though, they always sort of knew this was going to be released incomplete to a point, you know, sure, because you can't like a big part of this is obviously the election. And I don't think the movie even really touches on that. No. Like it, there's there's very there's a, a a little bit at the beginning about uh, campaign rallies and, and things like that. You know this this what am I trying to say? What am I trying to say in a way that I can say it without coming across a certain particular way? The idea that 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 the continuation of the current administration would somehow be a detriment to the coronavirus, which I think is not an unpopular opinion. Let's sure. just say that. You know, I don't think that there's anyone who thinks that this went well. 
Oh, I mean, you can look at polls that that you know. There's there's questions that say who do you trust more handling the pandemic? No, I yeah, you know, I'm, I no, I I'm yeah, I know. Um, what I'm trying to say is though, you know, there's a sense that that this movie could, frankly, and the the narrative of the film in the world in general could continue very far into the future should there be certain outcomes from the election. Um. You know, and and to be fair, either way the election goes, you know, Um, you know, that said, it's it's a pretty damning referendum on, um, you know, the the current administration's response to things. And, you know, that the way it played out is kind of putting a button on everything everyone's sort of suspected in general about the administration, the sort of. um you know, less than competent uh, behavior, less than competent staffing, and uh, overall sort of, uh, you know, paying paying for play, so to speak. Um, you know, it, it's it's ultimately amazingly frustrating. You know, even if you've been paying attention, like I have. You know, I, and I've been on top of all this. Obviously, there's stuff I didn't know. Um, there's revelations about the sort of pandemic response team that was staffed by volunteers, yeah. forced to sign NDAs, uh, which is nuts. Um, you know, I can imagine every. It seems like every election uh, season, there's something that is kind of meant to skew not skew but to to convince people otherwise um when there's a a major sort of you know Dinesh D'Souza releases one every election season that's always a blowjob for (laughs) you know hyper conservative Trump card whatever it is (laughs) um you know then there's something like this that is well researched and you know I don't think it's I don't think it's a stretch to say this movie has an agenda, uh, but that the agenda is so rooted in just empirical fact, yeah, is one of the one of the more striking things about it. Because there are these things that you know you you get these these political films like this that are that in, that indict an administration, indict a politician for the perceived crimes or perceived perceived um inactions they committed and this one's kind of all on the books anyway so um it's a little bit of a different situation and i i you know frankly i don't think anyone's mind is going to be changed by this that's not already leaning one way or the other yeah it's just an infuriating watch because it's so like you i mean south korea and you, you look at south korea it's it's got like a you know a quarter of the population size but it's a highly advanced not advanced. I don't want to say advanced like they're. It's a, it's a very comparable society. You know, it's a it's a you know very uh, highly um, westernized society. You know, I mean, there's there's probably you know nothing separating South Korea culturally from us other than language. You know, um, and just the 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 way they trace that out, um, the way they determine that's like karaoke, which is a popular South Korean hobby. Um, was dangerous for spreading. Um, just the way the way it all plays out in a in a in a country that's an analog for the United States, um, 
and the way it's handled, the way it's it's taken care of there, and it it's 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 maddening. It's maddeningly terrible as to what has happened here. Um, and you know, I don't I don't know any other way to describe it other than it's it's terrible. And I, I guess maybe someday there'll be a longer edit of this movie when we finally kind of figure yeah. out, you know, what happens. But as for now, it does feel a little tiny bit incomplete, but I don't know that it's entirely the movie's fault. Anyway, what is your grade for Totally Under Control? I'm, I give it a B. I think that it's really, I think it's really well packaged, well, well executed. I think, again, it is a little bit low on revelations for anyone who's been paying attention. I mean, look, it's yeah. a documentary on the biggest story of the year, <laughs> the biggest story in recent memory, you know, the, a story that's quite honestly affecting everyone's life so they you know you sort of have to make it your business to be informed about it so um i I just think that it's a little bit low on revelations and like i said um a little bit incomplete i would have really liked to have seen them punctuate the the film with with again even seven to ten days more of coverage you could have covered 10 major stories that that would have solidified it so i give it a b yeah, uh, I'm gonna give it a B. Also, I think that it's um, it's really well made, um, really well done. I think they're, you know, certainly as someone in not in the business like I am, uh, they're gonna be learning stuff. And I think that that's kind of the biggest thing you can hope for from a film like this is that, you know, and, and frankly, it's it's surprisingly objective from uh, from what I took away from it. Like, there's not. You know, there's not a lot of opinion in it. No, it's a lot of fact. Um, which is kind of refreshing in these things because usually they can be kind of you can you can pick the slant. And I think this one does have a you know for sure kind of slant, but it's but it's, again it's all based in things that are actually happening. Um, this is available on Hulu right now. Is it in theaters? I know it's a neon release. Uh, uh, it opened in theaters, I think, a couple days early, and then okay. now it's on Hulu. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our last movie, Synchronic. You know, they say we see everything once in this gig. Pretty sure we've never seen this. I think they need help. It's inoperable. They never start your radiation. What's going on with you? I want to know that there's meaning in the things I do. I'm probably trying to convince you of something pretty unbelievable or I'm dead. I'd do anything to get her back, but this is, I mean, the next dose could kill you. There are things that are far worse than death. So this is a uh, film from, uh, is it uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, um, yes. who uh, directed a film we covered here called Spring that you actually really like, Cody. 
Um, yeah, I didn't that, get was to a, see... that was a. What's that? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it was the top five, I think, movie for me that year. Spring was. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to see Synchronic, uh, but you did, Cody. Tell us what you thought of Synchronic. So I'm I'm a big fan of Spring. They had a second movie called the or a third movie called The Endless. Um, their first one, um, uh, their Spring was their second movie, um, and uh, The Endless was pretty good too. And uh, this is um, a movie like the first movie that they've had with like a, a cast that was uh, of of big name people. Um, it has Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan in it. And um, speaking of Fifty Shades of Grey, yeah, um, ah. and uh, it's it's a. Look, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you the plot of the movie, and you're. I'd want to see your eye roll when I tell you the plot. And this is part okay. of the movie. Is that okay. so? Basically, it's about the. There's this synthetic drug that's created that's supposed to be a synthetic DMT drug okay. uh, that uh, that affects the pineal gland of uh, of 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 adolescents mostly because ad- uh, adolescents uh, don't have their pineal gland calcified, and so because of that. <laughs> They are they, basically what the drug does is it allows them to travel through time. Um, so Jamie Dornan <laughs> okay. and Jamie Dornan and uh, Anthony Mackie play um, paramedics who keep on finding uh, uh, like younger people who are you know going through terrible things, um, and they keep on finding these empty things of uh, synchronic, which is the name of the drug. So Anthony Mackie goes to uh, goes. To, he's having like headaches and stuff. He's abusing drugs. Um, and he finds out that he has cancer, he has a brain tumor, and the brain tumor is affecting his, his pineal gland. Uh-oh. And, and, funny enough, his pineal gland has not been calcified. So, you know, as luck would have it, uh, he's able to, uh, Jamie Dornan has a teenage daughter who takes the drug and is trapped in the past, and now he's he's the only one who can go get her uh, because his pineal gland, uh, the synchronic, he like so basically, if an adult takes synchronic, nothing <clears throat> nothing will happen because their pineal gland is calcified. <coughs> so, what is the pineal gland for? I, I I mean, I've heard the term. I don't I don't know the the hemispheres of the brain. Uh, the pineal gland is um, it's known as the third eye. Oh God! Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, the main right. function is to. <laughs> it says it says the the main function is to receive information about the state of the light dark cycle from the environment and convey this information to produce and secrete the hormone melatonin. So it's sleep based. Okay. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so so that's the plot of the movie, which is why I wanted you to watch it because I feel like you would have not enjoyed that piece of the complicatedness. Probably of, not. Um, and, and that's the thing. It's a plot of convenience and, um, and it tries to do so much. And, and look, I, I, it's, it's a disappointment from Benson and Moorhead because I think that they're better than this movie is. And, and look, if you go along with the ride and, 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 and follow along with it, it's getting good reviews. I mean, it's, it's certified fresh. It's in the eighties on Rotten Tomatoes. It just wasn't for me. I think that it tries to do way too much. I mean, it tries to be a movie about, the kidnapping and then it's about the cancer and then it's about 
you know, the, the, the thesis of the movie is that the present is a miracle and, um, and it just never comes together. <laughs> what? You what? Know, you, what? Well, hold on. Wait, wait, what? The present is a miracle. What does that mean? That is a line from the movie. <laughs> when, when Anthony Mackie's character, dis- uh, you know, figures out that he's been trying to relive his past and, and that he, he thinks he's about to die oh. thinking about the future. He's thinking about how the present is a miracle. God. Uh, and then, okay. you know, it has to do, you know, there's the kidnapping storyline. There's the fact that Anthony Mackie is taking a lot of drugs. There's some grief stuff that's involved. Like, it is just a lot going on. And I think that <laughs> uh, as ambitious as it is, I don't think that the payoff works. Um, and I think it's a lot of mumbo jumbo um, that takes place where it's just like nothing quite connects in the way that it should. And, um, and this is the exact movie that... I can guarantee you if you watched it, you would have told me or said out loud on the show that it is up its own ass. <laughs> because ah. I think I think that that's uh, an, an unfortunate... Um, I wouldn't say it's up its own ass. That's using your verbiage. But, that's, uh, that's, uh, thank you. I appreciate you ascribing that to me because that sounds like something I would say. It's something you have said on multiple I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure I have. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, it just, I don't think it ever comes together in a way that's, that's, that's really satisfying. And like I said, I think it's a plot of... Like, I mean, look, the idea that... There's a synthetic drug going around killing young people that affects the same exact spot that he gets cancer and a tumor in. It's just, <laughs> let's face it, it's a little ridiculous. Well, isn't that the plot sort of of the, what the fuck was that Netflix movie we watched a few weeks ago? Oh, Project Power. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't that sort of the same thing? Like it th- unleashed your like inner, <laughs> it unleashed like Jamie Foxx's inner fiddler crab or whatever the fuck <laughs> it was. It was <laughs> Pistol Shrimp. Pistol shrimp. That's what. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I and I hate that I didn't like it because I like these guys as filmmakers, but um, this one did not work for me at all. What's your grade for Synchronic? I give it a C. A C. Wow. All right, that's gonna do it for this week. Next week, um, I think we're taking the week off, aren't we, Cody? Yeah, there's the only movie that's really coming out that's a big one is is there's a horror movie coming out in theaters with Gillian Jacobs. Yes, I saw the poster for that. Um, I think it's called Come Play. Um, yes. Aside from that, there's not really anything opening, so I figured that we take the week off, maybe catch up on our other podcast. Um, yes. Um, bank bank that's, some episodes. That's uh, Re-MCU, Rewatching the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um our next one will be about uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, which I finally rewatched last night mm-hmm. for the first time in quite a while. Um, and I have to say, again, we're talking about Anthony Mackie. Um, it's just a great movie all around. But um, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, also, you can listen to our other show, um, Corn Stream. Forgot that. Our latest episode uh, is episode two up yet with. Uh, Comedian Brandy Brown. So. No, but I'll put that. I'll put that out middle of the week, Tuesday, okay. Wednesday, something like that. Um, we talk um, the Devil Wears Prada, and then uh, another film that she uh, chose from us. Um, that either being um, Knives Out or what was your choice? Uh, my choice was. <laughs> I don't remember either. <laughs> oh man, what was it? I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, eighth grade eighth grade thank you um anyway uh also if you want to reach us you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net find us on twitter at cinesnob facebook cinesnob critic cody your other show the ramble um what you up to now uh rambles uh tuesday wednesday friday 
Uh, Ramble Radio uh, is uh, Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, regular Rambles Wednesdays. Good Willow Hunting uh, is on Thursdays. This week we'll be covering Tango and Cash. And then the next two weeks will be The Exorcist and The Exorcist 3. Ooh, weird choice there. I'm not in charge, man. Uh, how many people, by the way, sent you the the the, the notice that uh, there's a Willow series in development for Disney Plus? Oh, a lot of people have said that, and they'll say that uh, they'll say that uh, I'll probably ignore that too, and I'll say I would like to watch the Willow series, having not seen the movie. <laughs> that would be the <laughs> ultimate act of defiance. I assume it's not going to have Val Kilmer because uh, he's probably not, in, not. He's not in great shape now. Um, anyway, um, anything else before we go? Um, no, I don't think so. It'll be cool to have a week off. I'm going to be watching some film festival movies. I, I bought, I took Friday off of work and I, I spent like 25 bucks to rent three film festival movies on Friday. So I'm going to. This past Friday or next uh, this Friday? Up, uh, this upcoming Friday. Oh, right before Halloween. Look at you. Halloween Eve. All right. Uh, on that note, I am Jared Kingery. And I'm Cody Vianya. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.